0: That's good, hold on, hold on. Ow! Felix, Felix, do you just need to reschedule? No, no, everything's perfect. Everything's great. Yeah. Church face. Well, good day, Victory family. How are we doing today? Come on, y'all can do better than that. Who's excited about being in church today? Come on, we just lifted up the name of Jesus. Are you excited to give God praise today? Amen, well, it is such a great day for us to join together. And I just wanna say, we have so many people worshiping with us from all across the globe, as Pastor Israel said. We have people worshiping from Barbuda, from South Africa, and from Thailand. Can you give them a round of applause real quick? Listen, and while we're excited about you being here and while we're excited about all those who would even worship with us from the ends of the earth, there's a special group of people that I need you to give some love to that's joining us with us also. We have our Midtown Campus streaming with us today. Can you do me a favor and give some love to Midtown? Midtown, good morning, good day. Come on, y'all can do better than that, just for me. Indulge me for a minute. Midtown, love you. Midtown, Kendra and I I love you. We miss you. We look forward to seeing you next week. And so while we are so privileged, so honored to lead and shepherd and have the opportunity to just continue to cultivate what's going on in the city, uh, bringing a representation of victory in the city, which is a representation of Jesus, amen? amen? We're excited to do that. At the same time, we are excited that we're here today. While I miss the Midtown family and while I'm looking forward to being back with them next week, I'm actually very happy that I'm here today. I'm happy that I'm here today because uh, on Thursday, Pastor Johnson, he gave me a call and he said, Mo, not feeling that great. You know, I don't necessarily know what's going on, but just to be safe, just to not make make sure I'm not in the lobby and, you know, fist bumping and elbowing people and I might have to kind of get over something, could you preach for me on Sunday at Norcross and stream it into the uh, Midtown campus? And I said, sure. Anything I can do to serve the house, you know, is definitely what we want to do. And not only was he not feeling well, this Sunday, today, is actually his eldest son's, Jeremiah's 16th birthday. So can we give Jeremiah a shout out? Come on, happy birthday, Jeremiah. And listen, sometimes people will say, well, okay, just pray, you'll be all right. I'm glad that we have a senior pastor who uses wisdom and who is committed to his family, amen? Can we put our hands together for Pastor Johnson, Pastor Summer, Bowie? for all that they are doing and leading us as we move forward. So if you're reading between the lines, even when he said, hey, I don't wanna take the chance, this is my message to you. If you're not feeling that well, stay home. (laughs) And call the elders of the church so we can pray for you, amen? Amen. So listen, we're excited today. Uh, Today is a great day as we are in this week three of our series called Church Face. And what I want you to do, I want you to open up your YouVersion Bible app If you've never used it before, it's the app you probably use already to read your Bible. And what you do is you go to the bottom right, click more, click events, and then put Victory Norcross or for Midtown, Victory Midtown. And online, you can actually find that as well. Today, as we're in week three, we're going to go through and journey into a message that is critical. As a matter of fact, this message today could literally change the trajectory of your life. And I know we hear things like that and preachers say things like that, but I'm telling you, if we get the truth of today, you will never be the same. You will never be the same. I say that with confidence. And so as we've been walking through this and we're continuing in this theme of emancipating greatness, what we have continued to echo and say is that you were made for something great. Can you make it personal? Can you say, I was made made. for something great? And what we're saying, to be very clear, when we talk about the fact that you're made for something great, we want to make sure we understand that we're talking about God's greatness through us. We're not talking this self-help gospel. We're not doing the Tony Robbins. We're not doing the Oprah. You get a car. 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 What we're saying is that there is an essence that God wants to bring through us that we have the opportunity to let him shine in and through us. But the challenge with that is that while God has great things on the inside of us that he wants to get out, we want to make sure that what comes out is the real you, not the church face you, not the person that, you know, you just show up when you get out the car and you put it on and you kind of step in and you have your shoulders back and you're ready to rock. Midtown, you've heard me say this many times before, when I show up to preach on a Sunday, I tell them often, I am not here to preach to your Sunday morning self. I'm not here to preach to the person that's here with the lights, the cameras, with the great worship leaders, with the haze, the glory of the Lord is here. I'm here to preach to your Monday self. I'm here to preach to your Wednesday at 3.34 p.m. self. I'm here to preach to your Friday night self when you're tempted to turn up. And it's not for Jesus. So as we talk about this today, I want you just to be real. Somebody lift your shoulders back real quick. Say, I'm going to be real today. Come on, say it with your chest. Say, I'm going to be real today. As we walk through this, this is why we started this series in the first week talking about vulnerability, talking about authenticity. And as we talked about that, we wanted to make sure that you understand that it is okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay. When someone asks you how you're doing, don't just go through the motions and say, I'm good. Sometimes you need to stop somebody and say, "Hey, I'm not doing that well today. Can you pray for me?" Victory Midtown knows that we believe in a, a, a thing called on-the-spot prayer. When somebody says that they have a need, we don't say, "I'm going to pray for you later brother or sister, because we never do it." Right there in the moment, we sit and we pray for that person because we are here to sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron. So in that first week, as we talked about vulnerability, authenticity, Last week, Pastor Johnson gave an amazing word as we talked about restoration. And what he focused on was the fact that you might miss the mark. As a matter of fact, we all will miss the mark, but there's still restoration available to all of us. And I love this statement that he made. He said, with every catastrophe in our lives, there lies an opportunity for victory. With every catastrophe, even when things don't go the way that you want it to go, even when you don't measure up, and even when you do things that you know were wrong, there's still an opportunity for victory. So as we're walking through this, one of the baseline themes of this series is that we said, we don't want you walking around with the church face on. We don't want you walking around with the facade on. We want to make sure that your outside persona really matches what's going on on the inside. That how you show up on Sunday is how you actually live your life in victory all throughout the week. But there's a key to what we're going to talk about today because, yes, we want your outside to match your inside. But what we want to do, we want to make sure that we reflect who you are more than just how you feel. How many of you know when you go by how you feel, that can put you in trouble? And the reason why this is important, hear me very clearly, our feelings are valid. Our feelings are are critical. Our feelings are something we need to pay attention to. But just like we say in forward, if you haven't been through forward, you need to go through forward. Just like we say in forward, our feelings can be great gauges, but they're terrible guides. Can I say it again? Our feelings can be great gauges, but they're terrible guides. Meaning, yes, we need to take note, but we can't be driven and controlled by our feelings. So as we look at this today, here it is. Not only do we want our outsides to match our inside, we wanna make sure this week that we call the inside up. Somebody say, call up. up. We are calling the inside up. Revelation 4.1 says, come up here, and I will show you things that must take place after this. Come up here, because here it is. When we come up, what we do is we see God's view of us. We're not just talking about what somebody told us. We're not being based on the, the view of us that our teacher told us or that, that coworker told us or even our parents told us. Come up here. So as we look at this, what do I mean by this? We have to make sure that we make a shift. Somebody say, I need a shift. We need a shift, and it has to start with our minds. And I love how the Bible really teaches us and walks us through this truth. And many of us have heard this scripture before, but I'm going to come in a different way, and I want to read it from a different version. Let's turn to our Bibles or on our Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, I'm going to read it from the Aramaic Bible translation, and it says this, And do not imitate this world, but be transformed by the renovation of your minds. And you shall distinguish what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I'm going to say that one more time. And do not imitate this world, but be transformed by the renovation of our minds. Now, many of you know, many in the room, many at Midtown, many online, you know that Kendra and I, we're expecting our son to come into the world in just a few short weeks. Yes, Lord. Maximus, Caden, Moment, coming on the scene. We're excited about that. But with that anticipation of him coming, there's some things that we need to change. Last week, we were kind of getting some stuff ready, and I started to work on some things and renovating a room in the house. And this particular room used to be uh, traditionally our prayer room and the room that we would actually go and get with God and make sure that we're able to spend that time and meditating on the things of God. It's the room that when Kendra doesn't see me in the bed, she knows early in the morning that's where I am because we have to cover ourselves as we get ready to go out into the day. But in this season, we are having to repurpose that room. And when I talk about renovation, renovation is when you change something from a prior purpose in order to get it ready for a future purpose. And right now, we're undergoing a renovation in that room because while we've set a great foundation in prayer, while we've set a great foundation with really making sure that the presence of the Lord is filling that room, he's going to be a spiritual baby because there are prayers laid up for him from years of prayer. And so what we're doing now, we're building on that foundation to make sure that his purpose is able to be established in this new season, which means we had to make some changes to that room. We started to paint. We started to put a chair rail. We started to do different things because we wanted to be conducive for the next season. I'm here to tell some of us in here, as I'm talking about renovating a room, some of us need to renovate our rooms. Some of us need to renovate our rooms because you've been operating in a certain way with an understanding from a prior season. And in this new season, as we get this truth about what God is saying about us to take off the church face, we'll be able to fully embrace all the benefits that are, have been built on in the past and what's going to be used for the future. Somebody say, I need, I need a renovation. As we renovate our minds, we have to make a mind shift. We have to make a heart shift. And so it is, if we're not going to let our feelings guide us, what should guide us? I'm glad you asked. We have to let the truth of God guide our lives. We must let the truth of God guide our lives because the Bible says, even in John 8, 32, it says, and when you know the truth, when you know God's truth, it will make you free. It will create liberty. It will allow you to walk in everything that he has for us. And one of the main things that helps us take off the church face is when we're able to answer this question, write this question down, what is God's truth? What is God's truth? When we understand God's truth, we're able to go exponentially into the things that God has for us. So when we ask the question, the answer is found right here in John chapter 1, verse 12. The Bible says, to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God but a birth that comes from God. But a birth that comes from God. I'm saying that because you need to get it in your spirit because some of us are activating at the level of how we've been birthed into the natural. You've been birthed into some things that have not been so good for you. You've been birthed into some circumstances that have not really been amenable. But I'm here to tell you today that when we understand the birth that comes from God, there is nothing that can stop us because we have the power of Jesus Christ operating in us. Somebody needs to say amen to that. So here it is. It says he gave us the right. Some translations say the power, the ability, which means there is something given and available to us that we have to appropriate. It's available, but whether you choose it is on you. And so as I'm thinking about this, I think about one of my favorite movies, The Matrix. How many Matrix fans do we have in the house, online, midtown? I love that part of The Matrix when Morpheus in that cool coat and those nice shades, he looks at Neo and he says, which journey, which path do you want to take? You can choose the red pill or you can choose the blue pill. And I'm going to give you the Mo translation of this Matrix Kingdom Reloaded. In my version of this movie, when Neo looks at the red pill, we get the opportunity to say the red pill represents the blood of Jesus. The red pill represents new life in Christ. The red pill represents you operating in everything that Jesus promised you because he said it was finished at the cross. The red pill says that I am a kingdom kid and nothing can stop me. I'm all the way up. But the blue pill, the blue pill represents passivity. The blue pill represents apathy. The blue pill represents putting on a church face, saying everything's okay when everything is not okay. The blue pill said that you just go along to get along and you fake it till you make it. But I believe, I'm in a church, I believe some people are online. I believe right there at Midtown that we are some people who are going to choose what? We're going to choose the red pill today. Because God has a promise for us. And if we're honest, what happens is that oftentimes we choose the blue pill. And in choosing the blue pill, what we do is we find ourselves digging into and connecting our identity to what we do. We find ourselves connecting to what we actually work a job and how we actually operate that way. But I'm here to say that as most people hang their identity and their worth and their value on what they do, even the good things. I'm even talking about the parents in the room who you're happy that you're a parent, but your identity comes from being a parent. You're a great husband or a great wife, but your identity should not come in being a great husband or a great wife. And I'm not talking to you, but your neighbor. Your neighbor gets caught up because when they're trying to get that new job, they feel like that job is going to make them feel good. Not you, but your neighbor feels like if they can just get that bag, if they can secure the bag. If they can just get that nice belt, if they can just wear all the nice stuff, if they can just get the right car, get the right house, that it will validate who they are. But I believe that this is not the way it should go. As a matter of fact, we have to get ourselves aligned in God's kingdom prioritization system. What is that? Here it is. I got to give you one of our core values here at Victory. And if you haven't heard it before, I need you to take note of this. I need you to grab it. But this is what I need you to do. Midtown, you know where I'm going. I need you to lean in. Everybody all over the building, Midtown, come on, lean in. You know what to do. You on the side in the blue shirt, lean in. I I see you. Online in the kitchen, put that bacon down and lean in. Listen to this. This is so key. This is so important that it will literally change your life. I still see some people trying to like lean back. I need you to lean in. I see you, I'm watching. Here it is, hear this truth. If being a child of God is not enough, then nothing will ever be enough. Come on, stay with me. I'm gonna say it one more time because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and we're inundated with so many things that are adverse to this that I need us to grab. If being a child of God, is not enough, then nothing will ever be enough. I give you permission to lean back. (laughs) This means, as we receive this truth, that if being a child of God doesn't validate me, then I'll try to find my value and my worth in other even good things. I'll fool myself, and that's what religion is. Religion is fooling yourself thinking that you can do something to actually get the favor of God. But what we're saying today, the main point of this message is to understand who we are in Christ, understanding the benefits that come with us being a child of God. And let me say it like this. Let me make this very clear. I am extremely grateful. I am extremely happy. I'm honored to be able to operate in the different realms that God allows me to operate in. But they don't make me. They're not my identity. See, I'm not a husband first as much as I love that beautiful woman over there that's bringing our child into the world in just a few weeks, I'm not a husband first, I'm a son of God first. Let me say it like this. For all of us in the room, as, as much as I am looking forward to being a father and bringing him into the world, I'm looking forward to rearing him in the things of God, I am not a father first, I'm a son of God first. Let me make it real, real. Midtown, this is for you. As much as I love being your pastor, as much as I love being an ambassador for the kingdom of God, as much as I am excited about all the things that God is doing, I'm not a pastor first. I'm a son of God first. And so whatever your vocation is, whatever you focus on, you have to make sure you put that into the right perspective and be able to say, hey, hey, I can't let this be my identity. I have to make sure my identity is found in Christ. Now, I'm looking around, and I see some of my go-getters, my hustling women in the house looking at me like, all right, bro. I hear my Thrive Today entrepreneurs, those who are ready to make moves. This does not alleviate you. In the kingdom, there's no male and female. In the kingdom, the same way that I say a woman is actually going with being a son of God is the same way that a man represents the bride of Christ. So you can come back with me. Don't clock out. Don't clock out. So as we walk through this, here it is. If God's greatness is truly going to be emancipated in us, then we must grab this truth. And this truth is found right here in Romans 8. In Romans 8:15, this is major. The Bible says this, and you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance. Somebody say full acceptance enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never be orphaned, for as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved father. Some translations say, Abba, father. Some translations say, Daddy, father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. You are God's beloved child. You are God's beloved child. I'm taking my time on this for a minute because we get so many mixed messages in the world that we need to kind of settle this and understand that you are God's beloved child. Because here's the thing, if we don't understand that, It is impossible to operate from a place of truth that you have not yet accepted. It's impossible to walk in this posture if you've not settled it in your heart. And the truth is, you are God's beloved child. See, even this graphic on the screen right now, it shows us and it depicts the security of a father covering a child. If you are God's beloved child, this actually means this baby cannot do anything for themselves but sleep and some other things that I won't mention right now. But what this baby knows and what this baby has and what this picture depicts is a security, is a strength, is a covering, meaning that this baby does not have to do anything to be accepted. This baby does not have to perform for this father to love them. And I'm here to tell somebody in the room that came in wondering, God, do you hear me? God, do you see me? Do I even matter? I want to let you know you are God's beloved child. I love how it says it in verse 16. It says, the truth is, for the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child, which means he loves you. He wants you. And he wants to protect you and do anything for you. And when we grab this, I, I remind, I'm reminded of, even as I was growing up, my father. He modeled fatherhood to me in a way that he was my superhero. My father might even be sitting watching the, the Midtown service right there, right there in the, in the campus. But what I remember of being a child, that he would do anything for me. I remember that even when my brothers, would get in, my brothers and I would get in trouble, I remember this time I slammed my brother's finger in the door and before my dad could even stop the car, he was jumping out the car and the car was still rolling because he was like, you are my beloved child and I'm gonna do whatever it takes to make sure you're protected. That is a word for somebody in here. You thought you were an orphan, but God is saying, you are my beloved child. Somebody needs to receive that right now. So as I look forward to modeling this type of fatherhood, even to my son, as he comes into the world, that fatherhood that was modeled to me has framed my understanding. It has framed even my confidence. And I believe God wants to frame your confidence in him. And some of you are saying, I didn't have that type of model. I went through some traumatic things. I I didn't necessarily have somebody to show me that protection. But we thank God for the redemption. We thank God for his power. We thank God that he is the one that will make sure that we are covered and that we are secure. Amen? So here it is. The main question that we want to ask today with that main point of being a child of God is this. Write it down. If if you're following by Version, you can actually look at it right there. Here's the question. If I truly believe that being a child of God was enough, what would my life look like? If I truly believed that being a child of God was enough, what would I be doing? How would I operate? Number one, it ends striving. It ends striving, meaning it ends you trying to prove something. Here it is striving means to struggle vigorously as an opposition or resistance, trying hard to obtain something. It's when we're always trying to go after, go after, go after. We're never satisfied but we're always trying to make something happen so that we can be approved. And the challenge that we have is that we live in a society that is very much dependent and validated based on what you have accomplished. Some of us have gone through entire careers, going down entire paths, not because it was what God told you to do, but it was because what was going to make you money. Not because it was what was put in your heart, it was because this is what my parents wanted me to do. And so as we look at this, we have to understand that the world culture is all about being validated by works. But the sad part is, is that the world culture is starting to infiltrate the kingdom culture. So what you find is you even find celebrity pastors and people trying to be more and do more, veering off of the initial call of God. What you find is you have people serving in areas that you're really not called to because that's not what you really emit. You're just doing it because I can be seen in this position. And so what we have to understand is that we don't have to prove a thing. We don't have to actually try to be validated by these things. And I had this strong revelation about three years ago. Some of you know our story. About three years ago, Kendra and I, we transitioned from our prior church that we had been at for over 20 years. And in that transition, I had to get in touch with who God told me I was. Because for years, I was operating in certain forms where what I was doing, what was validating me. And when that was taken away, I had to take a moment, take inventory, and sit back and say, God, who am I without that? Who am I when I'm not the one being seen on the microphone? Who am I when I'm not being the one that's being promoted and people are not calling my name? And what I found as I was investigating even myself and interrogating myself is I actually fooled myself into believing that the things that I was doing was validating God's love for me. And you might not say it that way, but there are some things that you have even started to do that you kind of keep on doing because you think that you have to get God's approval. Here's what I learned. Write this down. I am not working for approval. I'm living from approval. Can I say it one more time for this side of the room? I am not working for approval. I am living from approval. While I know this because every time we even sing this song, communion, at any of our campuses, something kind of breaks when we get to that that portion that says, I don't have to prove a thing. You've already approved of me. I don't have to prove a thing. You've already approved of me. Somebody needs to say it. I don't have to prove a thing. You've already approved of me. We're breaking some glass ceilings right now. I don't have to prove a thing. Everybody say it. You've already approved of me. One more time. I don't have to prove a thing. You've already approved of me. I needed that to be in the spirit right now. I needed to declare that even prophetically right now because some of us, even when we show up at church, even when we show up with the good face on, even when we show up and people ask us how we're doing and we say blessed, we are still trying to prove something. We're still striving, trying to make something happen. And what I love about this is that when we get away from striving, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. We ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For the good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was with them. Watch this. But it did them no good. Because they didn't share faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. Can you circle that believe right there? Whatever kind of device you use, I need you to screenshot it. I need you to circle it. I need you to focus on it. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been ready since I made the world. Why did I want you to circle the word believe? Because what we're saying right here is that it is impossible to enter into the rest that God truly has for you until you believe what? That you are a child of God and that that is enough. So this is a sober reality. I'm not here to hype you up today. I'm here to invite you into a new reality that God has already predestined for you. I'm here because we don't want to be a church that hears the word. That puts on the form of godliness but despises the power therein. We want to be those people who hear this word, embody it, and walk it out. Because here's something key that we all need to grab. Here it is. Listen to this. When you are striving after something, you often have to connive to keep it. I'm just the messenger. I'm going to say it one more time. When you find yourself striving for something, reaching for something, clawing, stepping over people when you should be pulling them up. When you find yourself striving for something, you oftentimes have to connive to keep it. Let me make this really real. The reason why some people, I'm not going to say they're in this room or in Midtown or online, your neighbor, the reason why your neighbor always looks over their shoulder with their spouse. When their spouse say, I'm going to go run an errand, they've only been gone for three minutes, and they're looking at on Life360 saying, well, you didn't go where you said you were going to go. The reason why we are so insecure is because for some of us or for some of your neighbors, they had to strive to get that person, which means they were conniving in the background, which in that three minutes of them being gone, somebody slid right on in and said, hey, 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 Can I be your boo? Can I be your bae? We laugh about it, but it's serious because so many of us, we're insecure because God says, if you allow me to do it, I'm going to secure it. And see, this doesn't just go for relationships. This even goes for me as a pastor. With all the great things, Victory Midtown, that God is doing in our congregation, in our campus, with all the great things that are even to come in the next several months, what happens is I have to make sure that I keep myself in the right perspective. I love how Pastor Johnson says that, how Pastor Dennis says it and has said it for years, that Jesus is the pastor of Victory Church. Come on, if you haven't heard it before, Jesus is the pastor of Victory Church. We are under shepherds. So what that means to me is that I didn't make it happen so I don't have to keep it happening. I can rest in him. I can be at peace in him. I can show up and not try to be somebody I'm not because he's called me for such a time as this to embrace his calling for my life. Somebody needs to say, I'm with that. So here it is. Ecclesiastes says it like this in chapter four, verse six. One handful of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after the wind. See, as I was preparing this message last night, the Lord just kind of nudged me. And he said, Andrew, yeah, he doesn't call me Mo, he calls me by my full government name. He said, Andrew, the reason why sometimes, not all the time, but the reason why sometimes, even in a church, there is this high level of stress and depression, it was because a lot of people are taking on things that I never charged them to do. A lot of people have positioned themselves, and I haven't put them in that position. And so as we look at this, we have to make sure that we're not getting ahead of God and positioning ourselves in a way that we have to keep ourselves in that position. Amen? So when we understand this, this takes us to the second thing that we understand if we grab the fact that we are a child of God. It frees us from the fear of man. It frees us from pleasing. Because here's the thing. At the core, the fear of man is about the desire for approval. The fear of man is about the desire for you to look at somebody and for them to see you and for you to get their approval. In my life, I used to be stalled and paralyzed by fear and people's perception of me until I got this grace, until I got this revelation. And this truth that I got is found in Psalm 118. It says it like this in verse 6. It says, The Lord is for me. I'm, I can stop right there. The Lord is for me. Somebody touch your chest like this and say, the Lord is for me. So I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look and triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. Yeah, we need to receive that word. Because here it is. When we put our trust in people more than God, we will allow people to dictate how we operate. Some of us are operating in the fear of man and don't even know it. Let me show you how. Have you ever posted something, and after you posted it, you waited about 13 minutes, and it didn't get the like momentum that you're used to getting, and you deleted it? Because you're like, hey, hey, I usually get this many likes. You know, maybe, maybe I actually should have put a different hashtag in. So we delete it, and then in the name of message optimization, we repost it at another time when people might be up watching their phones. <laughs> we're laughing about it, but it's true. That is the fear of man. Have you ever put on an outfit? You got in the mirror. You liked it. You, you loved how you looked that day. You were fresh. You were ready to go. You stepped out knowing that you were killing it but nobody gave you a compliment that day. They usually tell you how you put your stuff together and you like it. For some of us, if you didn't get that compliment, you might have went home at lunch and changed clothes. I see some heads nodding. But for others of us, that outfit is buried in the sea of forgiveness, never to see the light of day again. Because you didn't get the affirmation and the approval that you thought you were going to get. That is the fear of man when we're looking for approval, when we're putting our trust in people. I love how Proverbs chapter 29, verse uh, 25 says this. It says, fear and intimidation is a trap that holds you back. But when you place your confidence in the Lord, you will be seated in the high place. Seated in the high place, meaning your perspective changes when you understand who you are in God. I used to travel a lot. I used to take a lot of planes. I've gone through three passports, been all over the world. One of my favorite things to do would be when we came back into Atlanta and I would see the the high rises and the big buildings, the Georgia Dome, and I would look at those things that in my natural eye would look big. But in that perspective, they look small. And the Lord would generally remind me and say, Mo, this is a sign unto you. There are some things that will look big in your life. There are some things that will look insurmountable. There are some things that actually take over your view. But if you can get yourself up higher, if you can raise your perspective, if you can understand that you are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, you won't have to actually be condemned by those things. God has already approved of us. Because here it is. The problem is not that God does not, He doesn't. it's not that he doesn't want people to applaud you. It's not that God is like, hey, you can't actually do great things for me. The problem is when the applause of people are louder than the voice of God. The problem is when you pay more attention to what somebody is saying about you instead of what God already said about you. So we must operate from his approval. And number three, If you believe that you are a child of God and that that is enough, what that does is it crushes condemnation. Many of you have heard the scripture, Romans 8.1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I'm here to let you know that one of hell's greatest strategies is to bring us down. One of hell's greatest strategies is to bring us down to the level of condemnation. For many of us, even those who gave your life to Christ a couple of weeks ago at Easter, for some of us, the devil has been reminding you of old things that you used to do that are getting in the way of you moving forward. But let me give you a little secret about that. The reason why the devil keeps reminding you of those old things is because he doesn't have any new information to actually tell you. Somebody needs to encourage themselves. I've been on the path. I've been moving forward. And then you need to be able to say, get thee behind me, Satan. You're just reminding me of an old movie that's obsolete. So as we walk through this, we have to make sure that we spend more time focusing on what Jesus did than what we did. Because while we need to keep the standard, we all are gonna fall short. We all fall short. But again, with every catastrophe, there's a victory. And as we walk through this, This is even generational. Some of you have heard these teachings, even as I have, coming up through the church, where people look at you and say, hey, you're going to fall into divorce because your mama fell into divorce. You're going to get cancer because your grandparents have cancer. You're going to have sugar, diabetes, because somebody else had it. But here it is. I have an announcement brought to you by Jesus Christ that we have to make sure that we put more credence on God's redemptive response than we do a generational curse. Somebody needs to give God praise and say, I will not be what I was. I will not be subject to what happened behind me. I will not be subject to what happened generationally. I'm operating in my position as a child of God. Somebody say amen. Amen. So here it is. I have one more announcement, and I need you to lean in one more hard time for me. Come on. I'm not going to call any shirt colors out in this room. I need everybody to lean in with me real quick. Here it is, and I'm going to whisper this one because I don't want the devil to hear this. I don't think you know how powerful you are. I don't think you know the potential that is on the inside of Up there in the balcony, I don't think you understand that there's a vision that God has for you that he wants you to match up with. And here's the thing. Here's the real secret that I don't want the enemy to hear right now. Is that the devil is afraid that you will start believing who you actually are in God. The devil is afraid that you will start to believe that you're more than a conqueror. The devil is afraid that you will start to believe that as he is, so are we in this world. The devil is afraid that you will start to take on your identity as a child of God and you will bow up and you will walk and say, I will live and not die to declare the mighty work of the kingdom. Somebody give (laughs) God praise. So here it is, as we grab this truth, Romans 8, 1 in the Passion Translation. I I said it before, but I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation. It says this, so now the case is closed. I'm going to say it for this side of the room because I can't even go any further right now. So now the case is closed. He goes on to say, there remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. See, if we grab this, if we understand it, you are unstoppable in Jesus' name. I love Mark Rutland where he says this. He says, the enemy of your soul is not nearly so afraid you will find who Christ is as he is for you to discover who you are in Christ. Something happens when you really know who you are. When you show up on the scene, things have to change. It's not because you're so strong, but it's because of the power of the blood of Jesus who has made you strong. It's not because you're so good, it's because you're a child of God and you appropriate that position. See, when I hear this, when I believe this, a picture comes into my mind. I used to grow up watching wrestling, and I remember this guy named The Ultimate Warrior. Some of y'all are a little too young for that, but some of y'all know who I'm talking about. The ultimate warrior, he showed up as a champion. And what would happen is somebody would be in the ring talking on the microphone. And then some theme music would come on, and you would know the ultimate warrior was coming in. You would look back like, oh, Lord. And when the ultimate warrior came in, you knew without a shadow of a doubt that he was there to conquer. You knew without a shadow of a doubt that he was there to take his position as a champion. And what I'm saying in this message is that it's not that you're gonna be perfect, but the champion, Jesus Christ, has already won the battle for you. He's already sacrificed for you so that you don't have to stay in condemnation. And we have to understand that it's not about us, but it's about the one whose name is above all names, and his name is Jesus. He is the one that gives us our victory. And what else do I know? I know that I'm a child of God, and that is enough. Here it is. As we close today, I want to give you some ammunition, and this ammunition is for your Tuesday at 7.34 p.m. self. When after you've had all those Zoom calls, after you've dealt with your kids all day, after you've dealt with that coworker, and you're not here with the lights, you need to be able to declare these things. This quote by Martin Luther, the theologian, he said this, and hear this, hear this, get into your spirit. When the devil accuses us and says, you are a sinner and therefore damned, we should answer, because you say I am a sinner, I will be righteous and saved. No, says the devil, you will be damned. And I reply, no, for I fly to Christ who gave himself for my sins. Satan, you will not prevail against me when you try to terrify me by setting forth the greatness of my sins and try to bring me into heaviness, distrust, despair, hatred, contempt, and blasphemy against God. On the contrary, when you say I am a sinner, you give me armor and weapons against yourself so that with your very own sword, I might cut your throat and tread you under my feet for Christ died for sinners. As often as you object that I am a sinner, so often you remind me of the benefit of Christ, my Redeemer, on whose shoulders, and not mine, lie all my sins. So when you say that I am a sinner, you do not terrify me, but you comfort me immeasurably. When you say I'm a sinner, you give me ammunition to rise up. When you say I'm a sinner, you give me ammunition and say, bring it on. When you say I'm a sinner, I can throw right back at you. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. When you say I'm a sinner, I can look at you and say, but I have a champion. I have a champion. I have a champion. I have a champion, and his name is Jesus. Somebody lift your hands in the room right now. All over the building, let's lift our hands. There's a grace in this house. There's a grace online. There's a grace right there at Midtown. There are some people who came into this room today, with an identity crisis. There's some people that came into this room saying, Lord, I can never do enough. Yes, you're right, you can never do enough. That's why we operate from approval. There's some people in here that even as your hands are lifted right now, you don't necessarily even get why we're doing this, but I thank you for being obedient because I declare that we're interrupting the devil's regularly scheduled program right now. There's a grace. Because when we understand who we are in God, there is nothing that can stop us. So with our hands lifted right now, Father, we receive your gift. Father, we receive that which you've already done. We receive the fact that you've given us a champion who fights our battles and who has already won. God, I pray for the person who was a skeptic even before they came in this room. That by your grace and by your mercy, you show them without a shadow of a doubt that your grace is sufficient even for them. Lord, we bless you. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your grace. And right now, we wanna make sure that every person receives this benefit that we are privy to. So I pray that all of us, just repeat after me, Lord Jesus. Thank you for being my champion. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for not letting my sin get in my way. So Jesus, I repent right now. I repent of doing things my way. And I even repent of not seeing myself as you see me. Be my Lord, be my savior and thank you for forgiving me of my sins. In Jesus' name, I receive it, I believe it, and I walk it out in Jesus' name. Somebody give God praise in here. Come on, somebody give God praise in here. Somebody give God praise in here. He's undefeated. He's undefeated. He's undefeated. Y'all don't have to believe me, I know he's undefeated. So in this moment, we're gonna give you a theme song. Because when you get tired, when you get weary, when you start to believe the lie of the enemy, I want you just to put this track on. Champion. 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 Come on, say it. Champion. 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 Champion, say Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Online and at all the campuses, let's lift this up to Jesus. Amen, let's worship.